We are continuing on in our series on rethinking freedom based in the book of Galatians. And so far, uh, hopefully you know what we've discussed already. We've talked about freedom from sin, freedom from legalism, freedom from licentiousness, from addictions. And today's topic is freedom from accusation. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians for two main reasons. The first one was to remind these Galatians that their salvation was by faith alone, in Christ, and not by good works. And so they didn't need to follow the law of Moses in order to be Christians. But the second reason he wrote it was because he had to defend himself against the accusations of others who said that Paul wasn't telling them the full truth, that his gospel wasn't accurate and that he wasn't a real apostle and had no authority anyways. So over and over in Galatians, if you read through the whole book, which is easy to do in one sitting, if you read through, you'll see that he makes reference numerous times to a group of men from Jerusalem who had come to Galatia and were undermining his teaching. And so the way that Paul defends himself against those accusations can help us to better understand our full identity in Christ and it can comfort us when we feel accused or misunderstood. I'm sure that all of us can think of some example of when you've felt judged or accused by someone, but knowing who we are in Christ and knowing God's opinion of us can really help in those moments. It strengthens us to persevere in following Jesus no matter what others may think. When we can be confident of God's love and his approval, then we're gonna care less and less about the opinions of others. One of the most famous passages of scripture, one that we often read, even at memorial services, it reminds us that if God is on our side, no one can accuse us or condemn us, not even the devil himself. So it says this in Romans 8, 31 to 34, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So nothing anyone can say is going to change God's opinion of us. He knows absolutely everything about us. He loves us anyways. He forgives us of all of our sins and mistakes. And if he has accepted us, then it really doesn't matter who rejects us, does it? If God is for us, who else's approval do we need? However, I think I should clarify from the start that when we're talking about freedom from accusation, that doesn't mean no one can ever correct us. I want to be clear today on the difference between accusation and correction. Because as we live life together in the family of Christ, there will be times when we need a word of correction or rebuke or discipline. If we're hurting someone else, if we're causing division and conflict in the church, if we're disobeying God's word with no remorse, then it is right and necessary for someone to someone close to us, hopefully, to gently warn us that we're on the wrong path. And I know this 
doesn't sit well in our culture today. We are supposed to be tolerant of everything and stay out of other people's business and let each person do whatever they want. But being part of the body of Christ means that we're actually accountable to each other. What one person does affects the other. We're connected, and we need each other's help in order to stay faithful as disciples of Jesus. None of us can follow Jesus very well on our own because we all have blind spots about our own character. We can always justify our own sin, can't we? There's always a good reason for why I am allowed to do that. Not you, but I can, right? But the heart is deceitful above all things, it says in the Bible. And so even though Galatians is all about our freedom in Christ and it's about freedom from accusation, Paul still says in Galatians 6.1, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So as we talk about freedom from accusation today, I don't want to give the impression that as believers we are untouchable and no one but God himself can ever correct us. Since we already have to daily acknowledge our sin and confess to God, we should be that much more humble if someone else comes and points out a fault in us. Loving constructive criticism from our brothers and sisters in Christ can actually be a huge help to us and save us from a lot of pain. That's why in Proverbs, it says, rebuke the wise and they will love you. Wouldn't that be something? If we could actually accept a rebuke graciously and gratefully But in the context of today's sermon, accusation is different from correction. So correction done out of sincere love with the goal of, is the goal of helping the person in the long run, right? But accusation is condemnation, rejection, judgment. And Paul shows us in Galatians that because of our relationship with Christ, we're free from that kind of accusation in three specific ways. We're free from accusation about our status before God. We're free from accusation about our calling in ministry. And we're free from accusation about our motivation. We're gonna look at each one of those in turn. So if you have your Bibles or wanna grab one from the pew or have a Bible app on your phone, we're gonna start in Galatians 3, verses 23 to 29. And that'll be up on the screen as well. This section in the New International Version is called Children of God. It's about our identity in Christ. And I'll be referencing a lot of different verses in Galatians this morning, but this section is the one that I especially hope that you will remember and focus on. So Galatians 3, 23 to 29. Before the coming of this faith, that is the faith in Jesus, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So in these verses, Paul is once again reminding us we are justified. That means we're made right with God by faith alone and not by anything we do, not by the work that the law required. 
That law of Moses had a purpose for a time, but now that Christ has died and risen from the dead, connection with Christ through faith is all that is needed to be a child of God. So if we have faith in Christ, then we're free from any accusation about our status before God. Because faith is all we need, and other people can't necessarily see that. This scripture is very well known. I've read it many times before, as you probably have as well. But in preparing this sermon, I noticed something for the first time. In just those four verses, Paul mentions our connection with Christ five times. So if you look at verses 26 to 29 again in your Bible, in Christ, it says, into Christ, with Christ, in Christ Jesus, belong to Christ. One of the most basic principles of interpreting the Bible is that if something's repeated a lot, it's important, right? Easy to remember that. And Paul is hammering home here that being connected to Christ is the sole qualification to be a Christian. That's it. So it's not about your behavior or anything you can see outwardly. You're not a Christian because your parents are. You're not a Christian because you go to church. You're not a Christian because you read the Bible. You're not a Christian because you checked off Christian on your census form. It's about whether you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Now obviously, if Christ is in you, dwelling in your heart through his Holy Spirit, then that is gonna change your outward behavior over time. But that's a side effect of being a Christian. That's not what being a Christian is. A Christian is someone connected to Christ by faith. It's all about that personal relationship. That's how we've often described it, right? That Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. It's far too easy to fake being a Christian by simply being a nice person. But that isn't enough. Our best behavior, our niceness, is never going to outweigh our sins on the day of judgment. This is why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that on judgment day, there'll be many well-respected, supposedly Christian people who come and say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then he will tell them plainly, listen to this, I never knew you. It's about knowing Jesus. Only knowing Jesus intimately can save us from the consequences of our sin. So back to the situation in Galatians. Those who were saying to them, you're not really Christians unless you follow all these laws, especially the law of circumcision, Paul says, no, no way. They are Christians because they are in Christ. They have faith in Jesus, they know him. They've been baptized to proclaim that faith publicly. And Baptism was mentioned here because it was the new sign of being initiated into the people of God. It used to be circumcision that made you Jewish. And now, they don't need circumcision, but baptism is the way that they can proclaim their faith and show that they have truly accepted Christ into their lives. And so Paul says, you can't accuse them about their status before God. There's nothing more they need to do. And by the way, Paul gets really upset in Galatians. If you read through the whole book, you'll see he's, he's in quite a state when he wrote this letter. He says, how dare you try to add anything else to what Christ has already done? By his death, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. His blood 
washed us clean. His resurrection proved victory over death. And at Pentecost, he sent his spirit to dwell within us. Is that not enough to save us? Because that's what Paul's accusers were saying. Though maybe they didn't realize it. They probably wouldn't have put it that way. But they were essentially saying Christ's work was not enough. You need to do something in addition to that. And Paul says that's offensive nonsense. Now I love how the author Scott McKnight writes about this in his commentary on Galatians. He reminds us that even though, even today rather, even in our day and age, we're still accusing others about their status before God based on all kinds of things that have nothing to do with whether they're in Christ or not. We think being a Christian means that you have to act and think the same way I do. We divide people into right Christians and wrong Christians, depending on how similar they are to us. And so Scott McKnight says this, Paul's critics question can be summed up in these words, do you, Paul, think we are to follow the law of Moses or not? Paul's questions to them topple the tables. Do they believe in Jesus? And are they baptized? And do you embrace all who are in Christ? Before we turn to Paul's questions, we need to pause to consider what we are adding to Christ to judge who is fully acceptable and fully devoted. What questions are we asking of others? What translation do you use? Who's your favorite pastor? What's your political party? Where do you live? What do you think of critical race theory? I'll go full liberation here and say that if any of these questions point to an answer that leads you to exclude someone from being fully devoted, well then you need to answer Paul's questions yourself. Everyone in Christ is in. That hits home, doesn't it? So, Galatians is about being free from accusation regarding our status before God. If we're in Christ, then no one can accuse us of not being a Christian or not being Christian enough or not being a good enough Christian. And we can't accuse others of that either. The right kind of Christian is the kind who has faith in Jesus. Full stop. If they're in Christ, we're going to see them in heaven. And so we should not be throwing around accusations at our fellow brothers and sisters. Secondly, we're free from accusation about our calling in ministry. Every single one of us, every single one of you in this room and every single person watching online, if you're in Christ, then you are gifted by the Spirit of God to contribute to building his kingdom. He calls and equips each one of his children to play their specific small part in his big story. You remember that series, small part, big story, last year? Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, the, the Apostle Paul's calling was to be a missionary to the Gentiles, and that calling was given to him directly from God. Wouldn't that be nice to hear the voice of God saying, Jennifer, this is your calling. <laughs> he doesn't do that very often, but he did for Paul. And we can read about it in Acts. And the Lord even sent his servant Ananias to go and meet Paul. And God said to Ananias in Acts 9.15, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. 
And Paul didn't write that book of Acts. So he couldn't be accused of having put his own mission in there. But Paul has to spend a lot of time in Galatians reminding them about his calling and defending his right to preach the gospel because his critics were accusing him and saying he wasn't authorized to do it and he wasn't teaching the full truth the way that they were in Jerusalem. We could read from Galatians 1.11 all the way to the end of chapter 2 where Paul tells the story of how he received the revelation of the gospel from Jesus Christ himself. He didn't need that message approved by anyone else before he went out and started preaching, even though later on the other apostles did actually approve it and they agreed with the calling that he had received from God. So I'm just going to read you a couple of verses from that whole section and hopefully you'll take a few minutes later to read the whole thing. So Galatians 1.15, Paul says, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. So Paul is expressing his firm confidence in his calling from God and the fact that no other human approval was necessary. But he also knows how important it is to people that their leaders have good references. And so later on he does say, the apostles actually did in fact approve of him and they never asked him to change what he was teaching. So he says in Galatians 2, 6 to 9, as for those who were held in high esteem, those are the apostles that were with Jesus in his earthly life, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So Paul's calling as an apostle to the Gentiles was unshakable for him. He knew God had given him that work to do, and he confirmed that through other believers. He felt totally free from the accusation that he had misheard God about his calling in ministry. So he defends himself at length, but not because he feels insecure. It's so that people will still listen to his message. You might be wondering now, what does that have to do with me? I'm not an apostle to the Gentiles. Right, neither am I. Um, but you do have some calling. Everybody has one. We'll never have exactly the same calling as someone else, and our calling might change over time. You might be called to be a mother or a father. You might be called to be a caregiver, a leader, a servant, a teacher, an encourager. Whatever it is, there is some good work prepared in advance for, by God for you to do. And you don't need to compare yourself with anyone else or get anyone else's approval about that. You are completely free from accusation about what your personal calling in ministry is. And Paul said in Romans 14.4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. So we're accountable to God for our ministry, not to others. I hope you know that when I say ministry, I'm not talking about having a job in a church 
or a role as a volunteer in a church. Your ministry can be whatever you do to serve God wherever you are. It can be in your workplace. It can be in your home. It can be in the community. The way that you serve God is the way that you love others. And that is the kind of calling that I'm talking about here. I want to quote Scott McKnight again just one more time. He says this, At times, the only confidence some can gain for their calling is inner confidence and certainty that God called. Witheringly relentless criticisms can debilitate that call, but in the nights of prayer and pleadings with God, they hear, as Paul did, the voice of God and remember when they were called. That person realizes that their critics are not the ones who determine the calling God does. So we've looked at two ways that we're free from accusation so far. We're free from accusation about our status before God, and we're free from accusation about our calling in ministry. But thirdly, we're also free from accusation about our motivation. In Galatians 1 verse 10, Paul makes a strange comment. He's been talking about the true gospel, and then all of a sudden he says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So this is once again his response to his accusers, who seems to be saying that Paul was just letting the Gentiles off the hook about following the law of Moses because he was a people pleaser. He wanted them to like him. He He wanted to gain more followers. Maybe they were saying he was too soft or too averse to conflict to really tell them the hard truth of what they needed to do. And Paul turns the tables on them and says, well, actually, it's their followers who are the people pleasers. And he gives this example of Peter and Barnabas's hypocrisy when they were peer pressured into not eating with the Gentiles anymore. So when we're following God in our calling, whatever that is, other people are going to wonder why we're doing it. And they may make all kinds of assumptions about us. Oh, she's only doing that to get attention, to be in control to keep her job, to make more money. Oh, he's, he's just caving in to the culture. He's just jealous. He's just trying to make himself look good. He just can't let go. Whatever people might assume about our motivations, it doesn't matter. Remember, they don't have all the information. People can only see the outward appearance of things, but God looks at our hearts. We should examine our motivation carefully before God and be sure that we're doing things for the right reasons. But if our conscience is clean before God, then we shouldn't let anyone discourage us with these kinds of accusations about our motivation. Paul says later in Galatians, in uh, chapter 6, verses 3 to 5, If anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. So basically he says, worry about yourself and your own actions. Test your own motivations, and don't worry about why someone else is doing what they're doing. We get ourselves into big trouble when we compare ourselves with others. The question should always be, why am I doing this, not why are they doing that? That's not our business. So in all of these areas, concerning our status before God as believers, our calling and our motivation, 
We should be able to live with confidence because Jesus sets us free from accusation. Whether that accusation is coming from people outside of the church or people within the church, or maybe the accusation is coming from our own hearts as we struggle with our own doubt and insecurity. But it, it, it makes no difference what the source is. We don't have to worry about these accusations because Jesus has set us free from them and he's assured us that it's only his opinion that matters. I found a great quote online this week that sums up my message so well. It says this, the greatest prison people live in is the fear of what other people think. I'm gonna say that again. The greatest prison people live in is the fear of what other people think. And sadly, I think that's very true, especially at church. We worry what other people are gonna think about us if we do this or that, if we wear this or that, if we say this or that, if we believe this or that. We shouldn't be worrying about that. Jesus sets us free from that prison, from that fear. If we know what he thinks, then we can live freely from the obligation to please people, whether those people are people close to us, like our spouse or our kids or our parents, or people at church in the pew beside us. We can stop worrying about what other people think. And we can also, and this is important, we can also take what we think with a grain of salt. Take it a little less seriously. Your own opinion of others doesn't matter as much as you might like it to. If we expect to be free from being accused, then we must extend the same courtesy to others and refrain from accusing them. Now, I, I used to worry a lot about what other people thought of me, and sometimes I still do, but not about these three things. I know I'm a child of God in Christ, and I know I'm called to be a pastor. And there have been people who have said to me before when I was studying for seminary that they didn't think I should be a pastor. And one of them warned me, you will learn. <laughs> well, the only thing I've learned so far is that I don't have to worry about what he thinks. And I know that my motivation, as much as I'm able to evaluate it, is pretty good. My goal is to take what I learn from God and share it with others. That's my motivation. And so I'm confident in those three areas. And my prayer for you today is that you would have that confidence and freedom in your hearts. And if you're not sure yet about your status before God, whether you're really in Christ or not, then today is the day to talk to someone about that. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to your friend, to any of our life group leaders, anybody that you see serving with one of those how can I help name tags, they would love to talk to you about that. If you're wrestling with your calling, and you're trying to figure it out, well, that's also what we're here for. If other people have been questioning your motives and discouraging you, you can stop carrying that burden of what other people think. Just leave it in the pew here. Put it down. Jesus' approval is enough. And I hope that you'll be able to truly know that in your spirit today. So let's pray together. Jesus, I'm so thankful for the ability to be free from that prison of what other people think. Lord, that we cannot be accused in, regard to, in regards to our relationship with you. Lord, we know in our hearts when you are in our lives and when we have faith in you. Give us confidence in that connection 
that we have with you. Lord, give us confidence in the calling you have on each one of us. Make it clear to each person who's listening to this message what it is that you would have them do to serve you. Lord, we don't need the five-year plan or even the one-month plan. We just need the daily plan. What would you have us do today? What's our calling today? Give us courage to step into that. And Lord, give us freedom. Give us freedom in the area of confidence when other people accuse us of having the wrong motivation. Help us to to know our own motivation, to truly be self-aware, and to lay that before you, and then to go on and not worry what people think. Lord, give us the ability to live the way you want us to live, in freedom with you, walking by the Spirit day by day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.